Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to turn in your church Bibles to page 1036, and we're reading in Luke, and Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 dirali and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And if you'd like to turn now to Matthew, um, and we're on page 970 in the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. And I'm just going to continue praying. Um, yeah, God, we just ask, may you just um, 
be giving us and filling in us now everything that you are wanting to in each one of us. Please be speaking to us now, changing us, shaping us. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. So today we are looking at the importance of forgiveness and about how we long to grow a culture of confession here. One of the things that hinders revival, both personal revival in our own lives and cultural revival in Leatherhead and beyond is unconfessed sin where we are not asking for forgiveness from God for the ways in which we dishonor his name in our day-to-day lives or from others who we hurt. It chains us back from all that God wants to do in and through our lives. If we wanna be empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in freedom and to live a life with no regrets, If we want to be used for God's purposes, then we need to desire a culture of confession. And to make that possible, we also want to have a Jesus culture here at LPC, a place and a culture that is so loving, so kind, so gentle with each other, that it is safe enough for any of us to confess, to God or to ask for forgiveness from one another and know that we are not going to receive condemnation or judgment, but that when we do that, we'll receive forgiveness and grace and love and kindness and freedom. So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the way that Jesus taught his friends to pray. And today we are focusing on that line in the middle about forgiveness. Jesus teaches his friends, he says, say to God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I remember going to a friend's house when I was a teenager. My mum's friend, her house was great. It was just across the park from me and I would be around there all the time. And I remember once going there and her mum had just bought new cream carpets all upstairs. And obviously as a teenage South Londoner, I was in my friend's bedroom with her. We were doing each other's makeup. We were straightening each other's hair. For the men here um, who don't know what straightening hair is, you know an iron that you use for shirts? We use it on our hair for some reason. Um, And I'm sure you guys can all see where this story is going. But I remember seeing at one point a burn mark in the cream carpet in the perfect shape of hair straighteners. (laughs) That feeling of guilt, knowing that at some point my friend's mum was gonna come in and she would find it and ask, who did it? We all have things that we need to confess to God. And for some of us, they may be more obvious things, like a burn mark in a cream carpet. And for others of us, It might be more internal, insidious, or even more socially acceptable things. But for every one of us, we need to be asking for forgiveness from God. So firstly, forgiveness is essential for reconciling relationships. Relationships are what we are created for. Friendships, deep relationships with each other, horizontally and with God is what we're designed for. 
There is no point getting to the end of our lives with all of the money in the world if we do not have relationships. That's what we've been designed for. All of us here, though, have either experienced for ourselves personally or know a loved one who has been or is in an estranged relationship with somebody and the difficulty that it can take for reconciliation, the need for asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness and the messiness and the difficulty and the pain that can be involved. And so forgiveness is needed for reconciling relationships. And so to help us, we want to dig into that word that Jesus says. He uses that word, debt. Jesus calls his friends to pray to God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does Jesus mean by that word, debt? Well, to get a better understanding, we want to look at the culture and the context that Jesus was speaking into. So firstly, culture. The word debt in our culture today is very different to when Jesus was saying it, right? Today, when we say debt, we think of 0% interest holiday loans. We might think of credit cards. I know for me, I think of my enormous student loan debt. We've got debt and we have a view of how we think of it. Jesus, he was speaking to Jews in the first century Middle East. He was speaking into a subsistence economy where if you were in a crisis situation, you had debt that you could not pay, then you had three options. There was the risk of starvation. You had no food. You had no money. You would starve. Two, forced into bonded labor, into slavery. Or three, to beg the person that you owe that debt to to cancel the debt and for that debt to be forgiven. Jesus, when he said the word debt, it was starkly meaning either death or life. Secondly, context. The line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it wasn't said in a vacuum. It was actually spoken in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered the greatest ethical sermon of all time. Jesus, he'd gone up a mountainside Thousands of people had followed him, and he preached this sermon about ethics and goodness to his followers. And as I read through that sermon, I am reminded more and more of the perfection of Jesus and the goodness and holiness of who he is and the utter chasm between him and my own heart. My heart is so convicted of my need to ask for forgiveness to God. Jesus was teaching to a crowd of Jewish people who'd been raised knowing the Jewish law, the Ten Commandments that God had given to his people, knowing that God had made each person, that the world was his, and that any harm or hurt against any person that God made is harm against him. And then Jesus took things further. He took it further than the Ten Commandments. And his perfection and goodness for loving people goes further. And he taught this. If we go to chapter 5, um, verse 21 and 22. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. I'm just going to pick out a few things from this sermon that Jesus preached. Jesus said, 
You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. If we look further on, verse 27, Jesus said, you've heard it said in the past, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who even looks lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart, in his or her heart. And if we go even further, verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is said by Jesus, a man who is so good and so kind that even when he was taken to be killed unjustly, he could still say, Father, forgive them. So Jesus continues on and on in his teachings that we know. And so when Jesus uses that word debt, giving people that stark reality of death or life, he was referring to the reality that we live in, which is that all of us, we will all face death. We can't get round it. And that the only way to be reconciled into a reconciled relationship with God and have eternity with him forever is if God is the one that wipes our slates clean. As Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so we've got hope. And the Sermon on Mount is amazing because there's this huge sermon showing these ethical teachings and how we have no hope of living up to them, any one of us. But then right in the middle of the sermon, there is a prayer, a conversation with God. And right in the middle of the prayer, there is that line that Jesus says, a line where we can ask God, forgive us our debts, and he can wipe it all clean. So forgiveness is essential for reconciling relationships. And forgiveness means we have a change in status. Forgiveness means we have a change in status. So some people may ask the question, why do we continue to ask for forgiveness from God when we have already been forgiven, we've received the Holy Spirit, and we have been made new? But let's remember our change in status from relating to God as judge to now we relate to him as father. On the day that you were saved and you came to faith in Jesus and you received the Holy Spirit into your life and you were made into a new creation, God the judge forgave you. Past, present, future. Colossians 2:14 says, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood between us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. I'm going to say that again. Jesus canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. It is done. We have a total change in status. For us, we don't see God now as a judge. 
we see him as our precious father. And the start of the Lord's Prayer, it shows us that, doesn't it? Where Jesus says, we can pray our Father in heaven. And that is a mark of the Holy Spirit. When he convicts us of our sin, it's a mark that we have the Spirit in us and that God is our Father and loves us. So it's like asking for forgiveness from our dad or mum, just in the same way that we do that. I grew up as a South London teenager. I'm very practiced in asking my parents for forgiveness. Um, We do that with a loving father. So forgiveness means we've got a change in status. And then forgiveness is essential for successful relationships. Just like a steering wheel is essential for driving, or as I've had to find out the hard way, turning the oven on is essential for a roast chicken to cook. (laughs) Forgiveness is essential for successful relationships. Instagram would tell us that to have a successful life, we need to show off our successes and then we hide our failures. But Jesus says the opposite and our lived reality tells us the opposite. To have long-lasting, intimate relationships and friendships, we know that we need to be open with the other person about our failings, our weaknesses to be intimate and authentic. Forgiveness, asking and giving forgiveness is essential for successful relationships. A few months ago, I was vacuuming. Thank you. Um, And you know what? Um, I saw on the floor one of my precious four-year-old son's little Lego pieces, and I had a choice, didn't I? (laughs) I could have leant down and picked it up and been a good mother and taken it to his room. But no, I vacuumed right over it, didn't I? And got on with my life. Um, My son is learning from a young age the need to forgive his parents, to have a long-lasting, successful relationship with them. And that's a really silly example. Um, But going back to the passage in the Bible that we read, or that Debbie read, Jesus taught us about successful relationship with God, didn't he? By showing us that beautiful story of his encounter with that wonderful woman. And so if we look to Luke chapter 7, 41. Where Jesus is teaching. And he says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave both the debts. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt forgiven. (coughs) Jesus is explaining that love in a relationship with him, it flows from the understanding of how much we have been forgiven by him. When I was around 16, I betrayed one of my closest friends in the most awful way. I remember when she found out and it totally destroyed our friendship. (coughs) I would go to bed at night and just lie there thinking about it, filled with so much regret 
and so, so desperate to be forgiven by her. I remember um, writing little sorry notes and putting them um, in her locker at school and buying little presents and doing anything that I desperately could to get her to forgive me. And I still remember that feeling when eventually she told me that I'd been forgiven. And my gratitude and my love for that friendship was so much greater after that incident, knowing that I did not deserve her forgiveness at all. And yet I could enjoy her friendship every day. My friendship with her is just a glimpse of my love for King Jesus. And in my heart, I do things every day that hurt him or hurt the people he made or go against his perfect purposes in my life. Now, God did not ask us to write notes to him or to buy little gifts and put them in his locker to get his forgiveness. Jesus, he paid that price himself when he died on the cross. The eternal God loves me so much. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he would absorb the debt that you and I owe so that you and I can have eternal life and an intimate relationship with him. And what's amazing is that for Will and I, some of the most amazing, faithful Christians, the ones who are most in love with Jesus, the most joyful, the ones who are most, um, most thriving and mature in their faith, are actually the ones who are most acutely aware of their sin. And so if we want to grow in our love for Jesus, we want to grow a culture of confession. And it doesn't just give us freedom from the past, but it brings us into an even closer relationship with our Father in heaven. So what does confession look like? Well, we want to be a community that confess and express, that we confess to God and that we express to others. Confess and express. And we want to be specific, serious, and hopeful. We want to be specific when we confess our sin. When a waiter asks you for your order in a restaurant, you don't answer saying food. So let's treat God the same. We want to be specific. Confession isn't, dear God, I'm sorry for my gossip. Confession is, dear God, I am sorry that I told Lucy about Mary's relationship problems. I pretended it was for a good reason, but it wasn't. It just made me feel good. You hate that, God. You love Mary so deeply, and you love me. You want the words that I say to be words of goodness and kindness, to bring life and love to people, not to say things behind their backs. Please forgive me. Please help me to say loving things. Please help me to be a good friend to her. Confession isn't, dear God, I'm sorry for my greed. No, it's, dear God, I am sorry. I changed a small amount on my tax return last year so that I wouldn't have to pay as much tax. 
God, I know that is illegal. I am really sorry that I did it. Please, you love me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And now please give me the courage to listen to your Holy Spirit and to make it right. We want to be specific. We want to be serious. We want to be serious when we confess our sin. God really hates sin. He loves us. He really hates sin. The Israelites, they grumbled in the wilderness, and many of them did not enter the promised land. Uzzah, he touched the Ark of the Covenant, which was against God's law, and he died. God and going against God's holiness is dangerous. And so we want to be serious when we confess our sin. And we want to be hopeful. There is nothing too bad, too addictive, too painful for Jesus. We can bring it all to him. A friend of mine was once telling me about her precious auntie from Lithuania. She explains that her auntie's whole mouth is decaying. She hasn't been to a dentist in decades. And so her, her teeth are rotting. It really, really hurts. There's decay, there's rot. And she won't go to a dentist. She refuses to go because she doesn't want to go somewhere and have to open her mouth and allow somebody to look in and to look in and see that rot and that decay and all of that pain that she has. Many of us here may be carrying things that we are fearful to be open about. I want you to know that Jesus is so good. He is so gentle. He is so kind and he is so patient with us. We do not need to be afraid of judgment when we open ourselves up to him. He promises that when things are brought into the light, that is where healing, forgiveness, freedom, joy, hope come from. So we want to be hopeful. We know we can give it to him and then we can live in confidence. And we want to express. We want to confess to God and we want to express to others. It is a lot easier to stay silent with other people and only talk to God about things, isn't it? James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you're not in a midweek group, then you are easy pickings for the enemy. There would be a lot less need for confession of sin in the church if there were more people, more of us, confessing our temptations to each other. So we want to find those people that we trust, that we meet up with regularly, and we want to express to them, share with them what is going on, and ask them to pray for you. So let's grow a culture of confession here at LPC, confident that as we do, we are signaling to the world the depth of our relationship that we have with God and with each other and opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to bring revival into our own lives and through us to those around us. Amen.